Welcome to Stories from 400 Feet, the podcast that gives you the inside story on what is happening in the drone industry, from the everyday to the not-so-everyday events that define this industry and push it forward. If a drone flies, we'll be there. Hi, I'm Danielle Gagne, and today I'm speaking with Kirk Floyd, owner of K-Drone Services, to share his insights on facade inspections of hospitals. It's great to have you on the show today. I'm really excited to talk to you about this. Thank you, Danielle. Now, can you give a little bit of background uh, about the hospital you inspected in Seattle? All right. So our job in Seattle was to do a facade and roof inspection on a large hospital complex. The first problem with Seattle is the weather, obviously. And so that was one of our biggest issues. What technology were you using to deal with some of that weather and how did you select those platforms and systems? Okay, so uh, the weather was basically looking at different uh, online weather systems and trying to make a no or go decision because of the complexity of having pilots coming from California, uh, two pilots in Seattle, and then two coming from the East Coast as well and having them all converge in Seattle and having the weather in a five-day period be cooperative. So some of the technology that I personally used to manage the project was Google Earth, actually. It had a very good 3D image of Seattle, and it enabled me to learn the entire building before we went to Seattle, and that was a big game changer for me. I was able to take pictures of every single facade that we were going to take pictures of in Seattle in the 3D image, and then print them out and give them to the pilots daily. And that enabled them to double check that they were on the right facade and that they were moving around the building in the correct manner. That was the first time I'd ever implemented doing that with the uh, pictures in the Google Earth. Oh, that's really interesting. What were some of the challenges with the mission and how were you able to solve some of those? So you asked about platforms. The platform that we used as far as the equipment was DJI's Mavic 2 Pro Enterprise, uh, the infrared and RGB camera, and then one Mavic 2 Pro. So we had two of the enterprises on site and one Pro. We had three VOs and three pilots and one runner on the scene. Originally, we thought that the complexity of the job because of trees and structures around the building that we'd be using a new technology that we started using, which we attach a cable to a kind of a fishing pole and lower the cable down the building between the trees and the building to be able to navigate those spaces without banging into limbs or, or structures. Uh, we thought we were going to have to do about at least a third of the structures with that camera and it was going to be very cumbersome kind of like the old way they used to do it hanging people off the building and when we got there with the mavic 2 pro enterprises we were able to fly basically in between the trees and they they performed excellently the other two pilots had just started flying them they had been flying big 300s and you know and matrices like i had been flying in the past and they were really surprised about the agility of them and to be able to navigate in those spaces in the wind. But the other real surprise was getting GPS in canyons, as we called them. So seven-story canyons of buildings 140 feet apart and being able to take off from the bottom and being able to capture enough satellites to be able to keep the, the drone stable. And that was something that we had had problems with the bigger models and other jobs. And that wasn't much of a problem this time around with the smaller model? We had no problem with the DJI, the Mavic 2 Pro platform 
Uh, the other pilot said, look, you know, there's no way we had a Skydio with us. We were thinking about using that, but we never used it. We got in these canyons and we were able to take off and get enough GPS. If you don't get enough GPS, a lot of times the regular platforms will not let you take off right. from an area if you don't have enough satellites locked in. So that means you either have to fly from the roof, which can be kind of daunting to take off from the roof and fly down the canyon. I prefer to fly up than down. Uh, we did have to fly some courtyards that way. Uh, because we had no access to the courtyard. So we would get on the roof structure and then drop down into the courtyards in the center of the structure. That's really great. And when you talked about not having to drop a camera down through a fishing line, how much time did that save you on the project? It basically enabled us to finish the project. This was a million square feet of facade and about eight acres of roof. It was all mapped RGB. Most of this facade was mapped with infrared and RGB. The entire roof was mapped with RGB and infrared. So there was there was a, a lot of work to do to get it all done. That's a massive project. Yes. But the, one of the biggest ones I've ever worked on, I think for Connexicore, it was one of their larger projects too. As I mentioned, the cable cam uh, would have taken a lot of time to move. You have to physically move it. There's a ground plate that keeps the cable stable as the camera goes up and down. So there has to be somebody on the ground moving the cable around. Uh, we had five days to complete the job in Seattle in about a week before Christmas. Uh, so the weather in Seattle that time is, is is not usually, if you look at predictable weather in Seattle, it's not the time you want to go and fly a drone. Even the local pilots told us that when we started. I got really lucky on picking the time that we went and we got five days of not solid rain. We got about four to four and a half hours of flight time every day, sometimes in misty conditions. But Splitting it up and having three different pilots inspect the building simultaneously was really the game changer for me. I've never worked, I've worked with dual pilots before, but I've never worked with a group of three like that. And the amount of coverage that you get in the same amount of time, obviously it gets exponential every time you add another drone. And that really was what enabled us to finish the job. But the real game changer was the crew. The crew in this case was amazing. The crew with the hospital that we worked at, they helped us with volunteers every day. They kept they watched our back and made sure that the people weren't walking into our area. Uh, the engineers on site uh, learned the building. We actually helped them learn the roof sections better than they had ever learned them before because we took them on the roof and made them walk around the roof with us. So it really was, I think, the total team that made this work. I can't say, you know, I was the team leader, but really without Steve and Katz and some of the other pilots that are, were on board that were just you know, above my level, even if, if anything, but uh, no egos and everybody was working together. And that's how we got the job. And we actually got the job done in four days. Uh, wow. I had one map to do the last day. I sent the pilots home. I was staying till Saturday anyway. And my son and I went the last day and finished the last NADAR map for the job. That's fantastic. And that kind of leads into my next question. What was the outcome for the hospital in terms of how they might have done this previous to this and in terms of safety, time or money saved, especially in comparison to those other methods? Yeah. So like I said, uh, you're talking a million square feet of facade and, and eight acres of roof. And I can't even imagine the resources it would have taken to get the same information that we got from the drones. It might be a year of actually just, you know, looking at every crack and crevice. The facade inspections that we do at Connexicore are amazing because of our 
proximity to the building, the amount of megapixels in the cameras, at least over 20 megapixels each time. Uh, you can basically see an ant walking across a ledge and we took every single square foot. So they can go back for years. And, and, and this has happened before with jobs that I've done with ConnectScore. For years, they'll go back and keep pulling data to look for new places to find problems and to hone in any technicians or people or even to do the budgeting for to be able to fix all the problems that they find. It's, that's a really important point. The data you're collecting has a lifespan well beyond what you collected in those four days. It really does help inform them about planning future repairs for years down the line, right? Correct. And the other thing is it gives them that measurable orthomosaic that helps them later on. And, and, and they can give different contractors, roof contractors, they can make easy estimates saying this is exactly the square feet of what I need on a flat roof. And I think that's a game changer with the drones in general, being able to have this data that is a snapshot in time, right? That's what a picture is. But it isn't exactly a snapshot in time when it deals with construction, especially existing construction with infrastructure inspection. I think that that, as you said earlier, they'll come back for years and look at that data. So that data is invaluable in my mind. And I really think a lot of the construction industry really doesn't see the value yet. I think it's still coming in the industry. And that actually leads to a question that I have later down the line. I'd like to ask it now because you're talking about it. Looking at the big picture, how does conducting missions like yours really impact the drone industry? And maybe it's even better to say, how does this impact the construction and engineering industries. I think I think it's such an emerging technology in the building industry. The more I get deeper into it, the bigger companies that I work for, I am so blown away with their lack of knowledge of what drones can do. Until finally somebody like ConnectScore or a big company comes in and gets them to sign a contract and they, they agree to it. And then we go out and we do the maps and the AI takes over and then they're able to do annotations and keep maps and, and all this. And usually it, they don't believe it until they see it and then they overbelieve it. And I think it's only a matter of time before the whole industry just gets real excited about drone technology. A lot of the old GIS guys and stuff just don't believe it still. They just don't believe in the data. Why do you think that that's the case? You know, I think it's just, it's, somebody told me it's age in construction. <laughs> that's what I was told. I, you know, I work in farming too with drones and, and I find the same thing in farming too. The average farmer's 68 years old in America and the average construction owner is probably in that same range. So with the big companies, you know, the CEOs and stuff like that. So they're used to the old way. And they just don't, they just don't want to change because they have to learn a whole new technology when in some ways they should just be embracing that this new technology is out there and that it's going to bring younger people into their industry because they're going to look, wow, this is cool. You know, now I can use drones to find data and I can go out and fly drones instead of my dad was a surveyor instead of standing on the ground for hours with a transient waiting. Yeah. Or waiting for a GPS location or whatever, you know, that's not fun. So I hope I try to do a lot of robotic clubs, things like that. I try to get kids involved with drones every day. And, and every time I see that sparkle in an eye, I know that I've hooked them, you know, and that's the next, the next drone pilot. And Absolutely. we're going to need a lot of them. So we are just by talking about this one particular mission, we're definitely seeing 
just how much data you can collect in such a short period of time. Like you said, for four days versus maybe taking a year to climb up and down the building to get right. that images. And how much money. And, and well, and then yeah. you also impact the hospital. We did a limited impact. That's drones are also a limited impact measuring right. tool. So a scaffolding the money to put a scaffolding up like in New York city to do a facade inspection or to hang four guys off the building. You still got to close the sidewalk. You still got to do this. You got to do that for hours on a time when the average space of a big building might take an hour with a drone. And it's safer too. And there's nobody goes in the air. Right. And, and actually the pictures, I think they have more complexity to them when you're on a scaffolding or you're hanging off a building and you're taking pictures of the camera, you're not covering everything. And you don't know if you can. So really until the job's over, the drone and the way we fly the drones, and we do manual, we do fly manually when we do facades right now because the software is not that great. But we still have a pattern that we cover. It makes it easier for us to be consistent. And the managers like myself that manage the pilots in the field, you know, we teach them to double check their lines. And when they come back, they QC their own data to make sure that, you know, they've got every piece of the pie before they start uploading to the company. That's fantastic. Did you learn anything from the experience or was there something interesting that happened with this particular project? Yeah, there was a few things I learned. As I mentioned earlier, I learned a lot of drone pilots are loners. <laughs> we fly alone. You know, we usually have a VO maybe with a friend or somebody that VOs for us. And sometimes we don't even have that. So it, the, the thing that I learned was really flying with that group, the group of pilots that I had and coming together with them to me was such a great experience because we got the trade experiences, you know, we got to dinner and we'd be able to talk about all our experiences, pilots and teach each other. So, and my son was on the trip. He's, he's learning to be a pilot and working for my company for a couple of years. And I sent him off with the other pilots when we got there. He's flown with me a bunch. <laughs> so he went with those guys and they mentored him. For us, for my company and my, my son and I, that was amazing to have that experience for him to be able to get with real good pilots that are doing great things and they can teach him how to be a good pilot. And the other thing, it was just the pre-planning, I think. Um, it was the biggest pre-planning trip I've ever done because... We talked earlier about the uh, privacy issue. There was so many meetings on privacy issues with the hospital because we were so close to the windows and taking pictures of faces. The other thing, dual helipads. So we had uh, meetings with the helicopter people, the companies that come in and out of there. We were monitoring their frequency during the whole time so that if they had a life flight, we would be able to get out of the way long before they would hit the pad. Those kind of complexities, I don't think I'd ever had all those things in one job before, except this one. To, to be able to manage other pilots, to be able to work with the ground teams and the teams from the hospital. That was really, like I said earlier, the teamwork was great. And, and I think in droning in general, I find that there's a lot of good teamwork in it. It's really interesting that you bring up how infrequently that these projects are done by more than two people. And just that opportunity to share is so important in growing your capabilities and understanding what other drone pilots are doing. The other thing I'd like to come back to is that privacy issue, because, yeah, you were working with a public building and it was an operating hospital. And I know that there are a lot of concerns about privacy. Can you talk a little bit about how you handled that? So, yeah, that was, you know, there was a few meetings on that that held us up for actually launching for a while. Um, Two things they needed to do was be able to let everybody know. And that was a big issue. This is a very large hospital. Uh, So and, and at first they wanted me to tell them where I was on what day. 
And I was like, look, I wish in the best of the world, I could tell you that, but this is going to be kind of, a, you know, we're trying to get it done in a short time frame. We're going to have to move quickly. Uh, we didn't have a lot of ground traffic. I thought we'd have more COVID, I think, kept that ground traffic down. So uh, that was nice that there weren't a lot of people outside that we had to work with. But as far as the individual hospital and privacy, we had to really convince them that one, after the pictures were taken, that we would go through and blur any faces out. So if we did catch people or we did catch a scene or something like that, that we didn't want to see, that we'd be able to do that because they're going to be able to have all the pictures and they're going to see them in the annotation computer where they're looking at the annotations, but they didn't want to see any faces. So some of that was done with AI and some of that we manually had to do. Uh, so that's different than any other project. As I mentioned earlier, usually privacy outside, you know, if it's in the air and they're in the public space, they really don't have any right to privacy. So that kind of, you know, negates that. You don't have to worry about that in the real world. But in this hospital, it was a situation where we had to do that. We also had to be inside the hospital and sometimes in patient care, critical areas, because we had to access roof access. And so we all had to be totally vaccinated. And we also had to have flu shots and all that stuff before we came in testing and all that to make sure because it was a children's hospital. So there, that was another factor that factored into a drone job that I've never had before, because usually I'm just outside <laughs> and nobody cares. <laughs> and during COVID, that was easy. It was great during COVID. I go to do jobs. I'd never see anybody. I come home, upload the data, you know, get paid. So it's, a, you know, that was, it, droning was a good thing during COVID in some ways. If you keep the yeah, it's a great uh, distancer, just like goes back to that two-team tendency. You don't interact with a lot of people when you do a job. No, and you hope you don't interact with the public in a negative way. And, and it goes back to the pre-notification. We even notified all the residents around the hospital that we would be flying, even though we really didn't fly outside the perimeter of the hospital at all. But the hospital was really wanted the public perception of what was going on to be positive. And with everything and the children, too, I mean, I told them I'd put Lego guys on the top of my drones as I was flying up down the building if it made the children happy, you know, and they were like, well, we're really happy that you, you know, that, that you feel that way. And I was like, yeah, I don't want to scare anybody with a drone. That's, we want it to be positive the whole time. Yeah. And with kids, they could see that drone and have a really positive experience and realize that drones are out there doing really cool stuff. Exactly. And that's pretty much what I heard happen. So it was fun. It was kind of like I said, make it a game. Who can who can find it? Who sees them? You know, they're going by so quick. So they're only going to see it for about two seconds as it goes by. So it was it was fun. And, and like I said, the hospital was good. And the other thing about the hospital being a children's hospital, it really was good to do the service for the hospital in my mind, because a lot of times I do movies and all kinds of different infrastructure. And it all is important. But I think that was one of the most important jobs I ever did. Well, that's great. And I just want to get your opinion and about the future of the drone industry since you're working so closely with it. What do you hope to see happen? So first off, I, I hope to see the FAA kind of, you know, get going on with their thing. Obviously, I'm not going to get too deep into that. You know, we all know about that. And then see regulations be easier to navigate. That would be great. Uh, for me, it's the kids getting the kids into the droning because that's the future. Uh, they're already pretty much programmed to do it anyway. It kind of feeds from video games, especially when you're mapping and doing things like that. It, it really does have that kind of constant attention video game kind of style to it. And yeah. I think the kids kind of 
gravitate right out of the, the fake world to the real world. <laughs> I think that's kind of cool too. That hey, you now you're really flying. You know, you're safe, but you're flying. Infrastructure-wise, I think droning is going to be the game changer for the infrastructure industry. We've got a lot of infrastructure to fix in this country right now. And the first thing that has to happen is it has to be inspected, right? right. We've got to figure out what we got to do. And drones are going to play into that in a huge way. And I think in the next four years, five years, you're going to see it's going to be commonplace. It's not going to be like this where we're special people that talk about droning. You know? yeah. <laughs> and the rest of the public kind of has this perception about good or bad about what drones are. And I think, and you know, I work in the ag business, so I think it's going to be a total game changer in the agricultural industry. And I've been in it for about five years. And the last year has been a game changer. It was the same perceptions as the construction guys with the farmers. And now they're excited about it all of a sudden. I'm not sure what's changed that. Sustainable farming, other things in the industry. But they want spray drones. They want analytic drones on their farms now. They they want it all. That's really exciting to hear because I know that agriculture in the very beginning when drones were the new hot thing. And there's a lot of hype. They were saying agriculture is going to be the top drone mm-hmm. industry. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it took a little bit longer there, but we're seeing it. And, and that's really exciting to hear. And I'm excited to see how all that turns out, especially, as you said, as regulations become better. I'm, I'm kind of heartened by the BV loss arc that just came out. There's a lot of really great recommendations in there. Yeah. And that's in, in the fields, the black, beyond line of sight is going to be a big issue. That's something we have to have. Um, I've been flying fields for three or four years now. And that's a, that's a big issue for me is being able to keep an eye on the drone you know, when you're Absolutely. flying hundreds of acres and not just that. And so, yeah, that that's going to be good. And I think that they're going to hopefully transcend to the agricultural world to see that we need that exception too to be able to go out of line of sight, if not for long periods of time, but at least for longer periods of time. Yeah, even extended visual line of sight would be a huge game changer, I think. Yeah, um, sure. In terms of any myths in the drone industry you'd like to dispel or clarify, I'm sure you run into a lot of them being a person oh, who's yeah. working with the public. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a couple of the things, obviously, the simple ones that people think that they can, the cameras can see more than they can. You know, I've had like people when I'm flying drone, you know, they want to look at the screen and they're like, well, that that's not that great. I'm like, yeah, you're 300 feet in the air. You know what I mean? It's not a super zoom camera. And the infrared's the same way. The, the infrared's the funny thing, Miss Motor, in the construction industry. I find this, we had this with this job. We did a lot of infrared. People think it's really amazing. It can do all these amazing things and it can, but it has a lot of limitations. And sometimes what you're seeing is not what you're seeing, even though this bright color is shooting up at you and you think it's hot, but it's not as hot as you think it is. And when you go to the thermography classes, when you learn, the first thing they do is teach you all the things it can't do. (laughs) That's the first part of the course. So I think that people think that drones can see things they can't. And I think that makes them suspicious of them. I think they see so much TV and military and all this crazy generate stuff that's not even real. And then they think that my drone can do the same thing. So I think that's one of the biggest myths about it. And the other thing I find people think that it's so regulated that you're not going to be able to fly your drone anywhere. Yeah. And I'm telling you with Lance, once Lance came out, it changed my world because the drone zone was such a slow operation. I couldn't get authorization on the day I wanted to fly when I wanted 30 days in advance. Hope the weather was going to be right. So Lance has changed my world. I mean, I fly next to some of the biggest airports in the world as long as I'm not in the flight path. And I can be two miles left or right of the runway 
And that really changed monetarily our business because I had to turn down so much work before Lance was out. Oh, that's great. I mean, we underplay the regulations that have already come in and made things a little bit easier for drone pilots to move that needle forward in terms of growth. For my last question, it's kind of an opportunity for you to share any information you'd like with our audience about yourself, about your business, or any events you're doing. All right. So at K-Drone Services, one of our biggest missions is research. And we're real excited to be working with Maryland University and Delaware University and U.S. Soybean and Maryland Soybean right now. And so we've got some really cool projects coming up this year, research projects, and some of them involve even dropping beneficial insects from drones, which has been done in California a lot by a company out there. Uh, We're going to do some of our own research on that. So we wouldn't be dropping pesticides. We'd be dropping kind of assassin bugs, things like that, that are going to come down and attack the bugs that are attacking different plants. And and that's really what drives me, I think, in the industry is the research. I love to do it, but I think that if I can make a difference, especially in the agricultural world, that's where I want to be. Infrastructure is great too. And I've actually made some strides in the infrastructure world too, by just, uh, you know, kind of being a renaissance guy with the drone industry. And I think a lot of people that get into droning and end up doing it full-time realize that doing one part of droning doesn't pay all the bills. And I have to diversify yes. slightly. Which means you have to be a jack of all trades. You kind of have to understand each industry you get into. and You do. And I'll leave you with the last thing, I think, and this is something that I learned from um, some classes I took to learn to be a successful drone entrepreneur. And like you said, I think the biggest thing is, is if you have a background in something like I did was agriculture was my background, horticulture, agriculture. And then I realized when I first found out you could spray with a drone, I called the FAA the next day (laughs) and they told me it probably wasn't going to happen. This is back in like 17. And and I said, well, you don't know me. It's going to happen. And we're friends. The FISDO guy and I are friends now and everything. But The thing that I learned was that I already had a background in this industry. And then when I found the tool, and that's all drones are is tools. And I think that's that's where people make the biggest mistake about a drone. It's not a magic carpet ride. It's not all this stuff. It's a tool that's advanced. So if you're a building industry, you can use it for that. If you're in the ag industry, you can use it for that. If you're in forestry, you can use it for that. But you need to know your base industry to be successful. And I think a lot of people think they're going to buy this drone and people are going to call them and want them to take pretty pictures. And that's that's what they do, but it's what happens afterwards that's the big game changer for the industry. Absolutely. Couldn't say it better myself. Well said. Thank you so much for joining me today, Kirk. It's been a pleasure. No, it was great meeting you. And like I said, you're kind of notorious. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully in a good way. (laughs) No, in a great way. So I'm glad to be speaking with you. I've seen your other podcast before, so I feel honored. Thank you. I'm honored as well. That's this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed listening and will join us again for our next story from 400 feet. Until then, fly safe.